0: We turn to God's Word together today, Uh, back in the book of Numbers. I encourage you to use one of the Bibles that's under the chairs again this week. Uh, You'll find our beginning of our scripture reading on page 109. Uh, But we're going to look into some big sections of chapter 3, and it's helpful to be able to flip and kind of see big sections all at one glance. And so those Bibles are are helpful because we are returning to our study, the book of Numbers, or as we've been been calling it, in the wilderness, looking at the people of God in the Old Covenant and their time in the wilderness, and we're seeing how God works uh, in the wilderness and connecting it to where God has us today, God's people between the first and second comings of Christ. Uh, We learn about ourselves and God's call in our our age and in our lives. Uh, Last week, we looked at the bulk of chapter 1, We saw that it was a census of the 12 tribes of Israel, listing all those, uh, numbering all those who were of military age, able to serve in the army of Israel. All 12 tribes, except for one, and that was the tribe of Levi. And this week we're going to get to discover why they were left out, and who the Levites are, and what they're called to do. So uh, we'll begin uh, by reading a few verses from chapter 1. And then we'll also get into chapter 3 as well. So let's first read chapter 1, verses 47 to 54. But the Levites were not listed along with them by their ancestral tribe. For the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Only the tribe of Levi you shall not list, and you shall not take a census of them among the people of Israel. But appoint the Levites over the tabernacle of the testimony." ...over its furnishings, and over all that belongs to it. For they are to carry the tabernacle and all its furnishings, and they shall take care of it, and shall camp around the tabernacle. When the tabernacle is to set out, the Levites shall take it down, and when the tabernacle is to be pitched, the Levites shall set it up. And if any outsider comes near, he shall be put to death. The people of Israel shall pitch their tents by their companies, each man in his own camp and each man by his own standard. But the Levites shall camp around the tabernacle of the testimony, so that there may be no wrath on the congregation of the people of Israel, and the Levites shall keep guard over the tabernacle of the testimony. Thus the people did the people of Israel. They did according to all that the Lord commanded Moses. Let's pray together. Father, we pray that you would... You would use your word, uh, that your spirit would would take the word and use it, that we might understand, uh, that we might see your glory, that we might be transformed into your likeness more and more, for we are your people. And so, Lord, speak to your servants, we pray, in Jesus' name, amen, amen. So what do the Levites have to do with you? What if I told you that by studying who the Levites are and what they're called to do, you and I get a glimpse of who we are and what we're called to do? Yeah. And even more significantly, in the middle of that, we see Jesus, who is the ultimate foundation of who we are and what we're called to do. So we're going to put those things together, Levites, Jesus, and you— and and see God at work in the old covenant and the new, and at work right here uh, today. But first, we need to talk uh, a bit about a bunch about the Levites, who they were, what God was up to in this day. So we're going to break it into two pieces, with each each group kind of talk about their calling and talk about uh, their their identity. Uh, first of all, the special calling of. Of the Levites so this is one of the 12 tribes of Israel we talked last week how those 12 tribes are named after the 12 sons of Israel Jacob and here's one of the sons Levi and uh, not listed in the in the census last week of the, the Army of Israel this one set aside uh, the Levites a group a little bit different. Now, in the story of God's people, not long before Numbers 1, uh, the Levites have already distinguished themselves about as a, a group that's passionate about the holiness of God. You might remember uh, that incident with the golden calf. There was Moses up on the mountain, and there were the people of Israel down below. And uh, and they made this idol, this golden calf, and began to worship it as if it were the Lord. Uh, a breaking a good many of God's commandments all at once. And Moses comes down the mountain. He's, he's bringing the, the Lord's rebuke, even the Lord's judgment on the people. And one of the things he says immediately is, Who is on the Lord's side? Come to me. And who gathers around Moses but the Levites? Uh, the Levites, swords in hand, and they bring God's judgment. Uh, on the on the people and and a whole group of Israelites are put to death by the Levites. It's it's God's judgment because uh, the holiness of God has been uh, has been sinned against, and and God's people are judged. But it's the Levites who distinguish themselves as being uh, passionate for the Lord and for His glory. Well, now this same tribe, this same group, is called to be set apart for an, another special, more permanent calling, and it does surround this idea of being zealous uh, to guard the holiness of God and the holy things of God. Uh, Specifically, their calling is to be guards, uh, on a holy guard duty. That's actually the language that comes up uh, again and again in chapter 1 and in chapter 3. They're guards, guarding, guard duty. Uh, You see it in chapter chapter 1, verse 53, for example. Here's a great summary of it. Uh, But the Levites shall camp around the tabernacle of testimony, so that there may be no wrath on the congregation of the people of Israel. And the Levites shall keep guard over the tabernacle of the testimony. Uh, The tabernacle, remember that's that special uh, tent that the Israelites were to construct. Uh, This tent with a fancy courtyard around it. It holds the the Ark of the Covenant and a couple altars and some other things. The idea being that this was God's holy dwelling place. God present everywhere, but the, the special glory presence of God dwelling in this tent right in the midst of his people... Uh, the, the glory cloud that went before God's people now it's, would descend upon this tent. It was a, a wonderful uh, provision, a wonderful news. God dwelling in a powerful way among his people, but yet also uh, a danger in a real sense. Uh, because uh, this is a holy God. Uh, and, and, and God's people are, well, they're not always the most holy people. And so, having a holy God in in their midst is a, is a danger, and and God even demonstrating that that His holiness can't be trifled with. Whether it's that episode of the golden calf, uh, actually uh, in the midst of this discussion of the Levites, there's another little reminder of whoa, we can't gotta, can't mess with this holy God. Um, in chapter three, you can quick flip over there at the. At the top of uh, before you get to the long description of the Levites, it's talking about the priests, and there's just thrown in this little reminder of mm, a holiness of God is a uh, is a serious thing, Uh, chapter three verse four. But Nadab and Abihu died before the Lord when they offered unauthorized fire before the Lord in the wilderness. Another episode where where God's people were uh, were very. Bl- blatantly careless uh, with the things of God, yeah, these two priests deciding they know better than God does and can figure out what kind of things God likes, and they offer these unauthorized offering to the Lord, and they're and they're struck down. Right. The, the picture that's emerging is this: God is holy, uh, and so uh, and it's and it's, this is serious business, especially for a people who are tempted to not be holy. If you're going to be in God's presence. Your holiness has to match God's holiness. And so this is serious business. And now the Levites are are given this task of guarding. It's kind of a two-way guarding. They're they're guarding the holy things of the Lord, guarding the tabernacle from the uncleanness of the people, but also guarding the people uh, from the the holy judgment of God. And they they do this guard duty in really two ways. Uh, They do it by camping and by carrying. Camping and carrying. So by camping, that's what was described in, both of these described in that passage in chapter 1. So in the Israelite encampment, we're going to talk more about this next week, but in the encampment, the tabernacle goes right in the middle, right God's presence right in the middle of his people, and the rest of the people are around by tribe. But in this inner ring between the people and the tabernacle, that's where the Levites were to be. And the idea is they're the guards, uh, they're guarding this this holy space of the tabernacle from being defiled, and, and also guarding the people lest the people wander in uh, carelessly or even uh, even uh, even brazenly and be struck down like the Nadab and Abihu or uh, of, of before. So, verse fifty three, we're told of chapter one, but the Levites shall camp around the tabernacle of testimony, so there may, may be no wrath on the congregation. So there's the first, the Levites have this guard duty by their camping, but also by their carrying. The Levites are the individuals, God describes, who are going to set up and take down and carry the tabernacle. The whole idea of this was the tabernacle was meant to be a mobile structure, uh, a tent like the Israelites' tent, because they're going to be moving through the wilderness. So it's the Levites who would set it up, uh, and then it was time when it was time to go to a new location, they'd take it down and they'd carry all the, all the different parts. And in fact, the, the bulk of chapter three walks through the different the different responsibilities. Uh, just, just quick, let's let's take a look. Uh, sometimes it's helpful to see how these big chunks act what they actually mean, so you're not getting lost in the names. Uh, so the bulk of chapter three here talks about the different divisions in the tribe of Levi. Uh, The person Levi, their ancestor, had three sons, and so you get three divisions of Levites. And each each division of Levites has different responsibilities with the tabernacle in terms of carrying and setting up. So the first group you see listed there from 21 to 26 of chapter 3, these are the descendants of Gershon, Uh, they're responsible, responsible for all the textiles of the tabernacle. So the tent cloths, the veils, uh, the curtains for the courtyard, uh, they're the the textile group. That's that's Gershon. Then you get 27 to 32. These are descendants of Kohath. So the the Kohath division of the Levites. Kohath was actually the firstborn of Levi. That's always the most important. So the, the Kohath division gets the most important things at the tabernacle, the furniture, altars, the lampstand, and especially the Ark of the Covenant. They're the ones who are to carry it and care for it. Uh, Then you get the final division, 33 to 37, the descendants of Merari. They carry all the hardware. Uh, So the tent posts and the fence posts and all the different pieces that connect everything, uh, they're the the hardware guys. Uh, So you get the different, different responsibilities. Now this is more than just... You know, somebody's got to carry this stuff. We'll, let, we'll make the Levites do it. Uh, the reason why God is so careful about this is because these are the holy things of the Lord representing his holiness. So having this specialized group who's going to care for it wisely and carefully, its the, the picture is they're guarding the holy things of God and guarding the people uh, against being judged by a holy God. You might remember... Uh, in a future generation, in the time of King David, uh, there, there is one uh, uh, guy who gets struck down because the people are not careful about how they carry the Ark of the Covenant. And there's Uzzah who puts his hand on the Ark, and he's, when, he's not, when they're carrying it the wrong way, and he's struck down. Again, this picture. Uh, right? Old Testament, it's all about pictures. Right? And the picture is, this is a holy God. And so the Levites have this, this holy guard duty. And uh, chapters 1 and chapters 3 gives this picture of the Levites as the guardians of the the holiness of God and guardians of the people uh, against the judgment of this holy God. So they have this special calling, and it flows out of their special identity, their special identity. Uh, In particular, that they are what we could call specific substitutes. Uh, Again, uh, uh, we're into chapters, Numbers 3. Now look, look at chapter, uh, verses 12 to 13. Here you have this substitution described. Uh, verse 12. Behold, I have taken the Levites from among the people of Israel instead of every firstborn who opens the womb among the people of Israel. The Levites shall be mine, for all the firstborn are mine. On the day that I struck down all the firstborn in the land of Egypt... I consecrated for my own all the firstborn of Egypt, or in Israel, both of man and of beast. They shall be mine. I am the Lord. So this is God describing why the Levites get this special calling. It flows out of their special identity. And to give the story, it goes back to the days of the Exodus from Egypt, not long before it now. Uh, Those days when God was delivering his people, you might remember he did it through a series of plagues, right? Remember, kids, all those different plagues that come on Egypt, God displaying his power. You might remember the final plague, the climactic one, was the plague of the firstborn. Uh, Every firstborn son in the land of Egypt is struck down on that one night. Every firstborn in Egypt, except for the firstborn son among the people of Israel. Uh, why are the Israelite firstborn saved? Not because they're more holy than the Egyptians. In fact, as we've just seen, uh, it, it, the people of Israel are not so holy. Uh, why are they saved? Well, because of their substitute, uh, the Passover lamb. For each firstborn son, there was a Passover lamb that was killed in their place. The idea is this is the substitute. Lamb dies instead of the firstborn. Right, remember the blood goes on the door, and so that when God goes through Egypt, he passes over that house, right? Because it has a substitute. And then, and now here God is referring back to that and giving part of the part of the lesson. And part of what he describes is this really key principle: uh, that whatever God saves, God owns. Uh, Whatever God rescues is now at his. In, in a gloriously special way. Uh, and, and so you hear him say, uh, the firstborn are, are, are mine. Right? Because he rescued them. He rescued them through the substitute. Uh, but then you get, you get, in Numbers 3, a, a, a second substitution. So the first substitute is Passover lamb for firstborn. Uh, but then now we're told uh, that you have the Levites as the substitute for the firstborn. Uh, a second substitution, right? The firstborn are saved, and so now, they belong to God. But instead of having all the firstborn among all the tribes as God's special servants, he's going to use the Levites instead. One-for-one uh, one substitutes for the firstborn, which explains a, lo- a good bit of what's going on in chapter 3, as all those different divisions of Levites are numbered, and you get the total. Uh, and then there, there's, a, and at the same time, there's a numbering of all the firstborn, and the numbers are matched up. Uh, you have, uh, have 22,000 Levites, uh, Levite males. Uh, you have uh, 22,273 uh, firstborn, okay, almost one for one, but then you got this extra 273, and so there's this provision made. They don't have a substitute, so there's this ransom, this rescue money that's paid for each one, five shekels ahead. head. Why all that detail? Now, the point is substitution. Uh, right? The first is the Passover lamb dies instead of the firstborn of Egypt. That means the firstborn belong to the Lord. But then there's going to be the second substitution Levites in place of the firstborn. So God's conclusion here in Numbers 3 is the Levites are mine. Right? They, they belong to me. Uh, and so they have this special duty set apart for the lord uh, so we're, we're getting these two key principles the principle of substitution the principle of whatever God saves God owns uh, and you could see how this if you were an Israelite in this day you could you could see how this would work it would be real you know say you're a firstborn son from another tribe maybe you're from the tribe of Reuben and there you are in the camp and you're you're looking over to the tabernacle and Look, they're, look at those Levites. They're really hard at work. Uh, they're working, taking down the tent, getting ready to move. And, and here you are, maybe you can even pick out one of them and say, Oh yeah, that, that's, that's my substitute. Right? That's my substitute. He, he's, he's set apart for the Lord, for me. I, I should have died in Egypt, but, but the, the, the lamb died in my place. And that means I was bought by the Lord, but here's this Levite serving for me. And there he is. Right? These principles becoming real. Uh, now, as we've, as we've seen, Old Testament gives us these pictures that come to fulfillment uh, in the new with the coming of Jesus. Helps us understand who we are. But before we get to who we are and what we're called to do, we've got to see how this is fulfilled in Jesus and what he is called to do. So now we, turn, now we turn to the Lord, uh, Jesus. Well, Jesus certainly has a special calling, doesn't he? And that special calling has this, this Levite-like quality to it. Can, can you see the connections? Well, first of all, Jesus, like the Levites, uh, he, Jesus' entire life is given over to the service of the Lord. right? As one who, who's not here to do his own will. Right? In fact, he says that several times, doesn't he? John 6. For I've come down from heaven not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. Right? So his entire life dedicated to the work of the Lord. That sounds like the Levites. Um, but even in the work that Jesus does specifically, it has this Levite-like quality to it. Uh, think of how Jesus uh, has a, a special connection to the dwelling place of God on earth. Right? By, that, by that time, it's not the tabernacle, it has a permanent form of the temple. And sure enough, there is Jesus. Think of him as a boy uh, in the the courts of the temple. His parents should have known that he was in his father's house, dwelling right there uh, in the the shadow of the temple. It kind of sounds like a Levite, doesn't it? Uh, He also, Jesus, takes up this this Levite-like duty of of, of guarding the holiness of the temple, doesn't it? It seems like it's twice in his ministry, once at the beginning, once at the end, that Jesus, with some degree of Levite-like violence, cleanses the temple courts of all that is unholy, right? He kicks out the money changers uh, and then those who are selling sacrifices and profiting, right? Because this is the, the holy courts of the Lord. Jesus kind of looks like a Levite, doesn't he? But the ultimate guard duty of holiness that, that Jesus performs is far more significant even than that. Uh, because, uh, well, Jesus is the one who solves this problem of how does an unholy people dwell with a holy God. Right? There's the, there's the, the big problem. Well, we know at the end of the age, he's going to come back and, and cast out all unholiness from the presence of God. Actually, Revelation even gives this Levite-like picture of Jesus coming with a sword to cast out all unholiness from, from God's presence. But before he does that, in order to make a way for a people to be his very own, that unholy people could could dwell with a a holy God, he comes as this Levite-like guardian of holiness. But not by keeping people out of the presence of God, but making a way for them to come into it. Uh, Solving holiness through some of the very same principles that the Levites' lives embody. For example, as a specific substitute. Here's how Peter describes the work of Jesus. For Christ also suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous, that he might bring us to God. Here are we, we're the unholy ones which means we're, we should be, by, by nature, kept away from the presence of God, uh, even, even judged, the wages of sin being death. We think of some of those Old Testament deaths. We could say, well, that should be me. But here is Jesus who comes and who solves this holiness problem by dying as the substitute, like the Passover lamb of old. He dies, the, the righteous, spotless one, the unrighteous, that the Holy One dies instead of the unholy one. And the purpose is so that we might so that he might bring us to God. So that we might not be kept away from the presence of God, but ushered into it. Uh, He guards us from the the holiness of God by making us holy in God's sight. By cleansing us of all unrighteousness and giving us his righteousness. Here Here is Christ uh, dealing with that great sin problem so that we might be declared holy before the Lord and might come and dwell in the very presence of the Lord for all eternity. So that's who Jesus is and what Jesus has done. And you see, it's, it's the Levite-like work fulfilled, uh, a holy substitute, uh, one given over to the Lord, one, uh, one guarding the holiness of God, even ushering people into God's presence. So how does that have to do with us? Well, here is the foundation of our identity and our calling in the world. Uh, We could start by looking at our identity, uh, that we are those who have been rescued by a specific substitute, Uh, right? This whole principle of substitution, this is our very salvation. Uh, And of course, it's not a lamb, it's not uh, any old person, it's Jesus himself but and we can we can gaze at our substitute and say here is one who's working for me right like that like the one who, who gazed at the levite we can look at the cross and we can say there at the cross is a specific substitute for me for you believe it. right and the cross of course isn't isn't this kind of generic magic spell uh, jesus doing something okay everything's okay no it's a specific substitute like the Levites of old, like the Lamb of old. And we can now, in faith, gaze at the cross and saying, there is one who's taking my place. I should have died. I'm the unhomeless one. Here is Jesus taking the wrath that I deserve, dying the death that I deserve, so that I might be cleansed, so that I might be ushered into the presence of God. And that, that's the core of our identity. That's the core of who we are. We're a we're a rescued one. We're a, we're a saint, right? A holy one, because God has made us holy. We're one who's who's precious and, and beloved of the Father, right? Look at what the Father did uh, to rescue us, right? There's the core of our identity. Uh, it's, it's one who's been rescued, one who's beloved, one who's a, a saint, if you know the Lord Jesus. Of course, that's the key. Well, this only works if you're clean to the lamb, you're clean to the substitute. But if you're one who knows Jesus, then then this is you. This is your identity. Uh, it's it's founded, it's grounded in what Christ has done, right? Not your identity, not based on what you do, but based on what Christ has done. Uh, think about that. It. It's often the op- opposite of how we tend to think about our, our identity. We tend to think uh, my identity flows out of what I do, right? So if you have a if you have a really good work. A week at work, or or a week at, at whatever your calling is, you feel good about yourself because, well, my activity, I feel good about who I am, right? You you know you you catch me on a week driving off of here, and and I felt like uh, things went pretty well on a Sunday morning. You know, people are you know nodding along with the sermon and seem to be getting it. Maybe I maybe I feel particularly good about man. Okay, yeah, doing okay. But of course, the problem comes in is what happens if it doesn't seem like a, such a great week? Maybe you at your work, maybe me at my work. Just Sunday morning, it's confused, bored looks, and does that does that crush my sense of identity? Right? Do Do I drive off thinking, well, maybe I'm maybe I'm not who I thought I was? Right? If I if if my activity is what's driving my sense of identity, then all that all it takes is is a, a bad week or two, and your, your sense of self is crushed, right? It's same, same with you. Whatever God calls you to do, maybe it doesn't go so well. Maybe it's not-so-great week in parenting, or, or at work, or some other aspect of your, your calling, and, and, and maybe you feel like, whew, maybe you feel lost, right? Identity crisis. Um, well, but here's the good news. For the believer, our identity is not based on our activity— it's based on the activity of Christ, who he is, and what he's done. And so our core identity is saint, holy one, beloved of the Lord, child of God. All right, there's the foundation. Uh, our activity flows out of that, uh, but, but it's not based on what we do. It's the good news that it's based on what Christ has done, based on The work of the substitute. That grounds who we are. And then it then forms the foundation of what we do. Right? It flows out of what we do. Flows out of who we are. And like the Levites of old, God gives us a special calling in the world. Um, The work of Christ uh, becomes this uh, this foundation on which he sends us out to, to, to live for him. Remember that principle we learned from Numbers 3. Whatever God saves... God owns right whatever God saves God's own so he he saves those firstborn and he says okay they're, they're mine uh, we shouldn't be surprised that the New Testament says that very same thing actually we read it this morning uh, in 1 Corinthians 6 It's if you're looking at the note page it's just at the top of the page where, where Paul says you are not your own you were bought with a price right there's, there's, there's number 3 fulfilled right you were you were bought right god saved you and now you're not your own you, you belong to the lord all right and so there's our identity we're, we're one who belongs to the lord we're a holy one but then it flows into this calling that we have that we 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 can't live for ourselves uh, we can't do our own thing we belong to the lord what, like a, like a levite of old our whole lives dedicated to him and we could talk and it's you know, we spend a lifetime learning from the Bible. What does that calling of being completely given over to the Lord look like? A calling to love others, a calling to make disciples, a calling to serve the Lord in the midst of earthly callings. Uh, but let's mention one aspect of, of our calling to be the Lord's. Uh, actually, the one that Paul mentions here, um, because, well, he, he brings it up, so we'll, we'll go with it here. And it fits in with the Levites. Right? Paul in this chapter of 1 Corinthians 6 he is highlighting that aspect of Belonging to the Lord means A call to holiness He even uses Levite-like categories here uh, If you go back in the passage He talks about The temple of the Lord Tabernacle, right? Same thing And now, But now it's not Tabernacle in the wilderness somewhere Or temple in Jerusalem He says actually uh, The temple is our own bodies; that the fulfillment of it is is God dwelling not in a tent, but dwelling in us. And so, as those who have been rescued and those who now belong to the Lord, the calling is this Levite like guarding of the of the temple. Uh, it's this call to to pursue holiness in our lives uh, because we belong to Him. This Levite like calling. Now he gives the specific application of of our sexuality, absolutely, but you could multiply it in every aspect of life. All the things that we do, all the things that we say, all the things that we see, all the things that we're engaged in uh, are to be holy to the Lord. And and pursuing that with increasing passion and, and vigor, the call to have a life, to use Paul's words is to think about and be engaged in that which is good and pure and worthy of praise. Uh, Why? Because God has purchased us to be his. And and we have this tabernacle within, the holy God of Israel dwelling within us through the Holy Spirit. And so a a guarding of that that tabernacle uh, by pursuing holiness in our lives. So is there anything in your life that doesn't qualify as holy? Well, the calling is, in, in God's strength, with his help, is to, to cast it out as, as, as New Testament Levites to guard that holiness. Maybe you're not sure. Uh, maybe you're thinking, well, I'm not sure. Is this okay with the Lord? Here's one way that came to me this week that, that might give you a visual. Um, okay, talking Levites, that's us, right? Okay, so go back and put yourself there. Uh, you're in that inner ring encampment right around, right next to the tent, right? Not kind of like the other Israelites far away. No, Levite, you're right next to the tabernacle. Think about, uh, if you're dwelling that close to the holiness of God, you're probably thinking, okay, I can't just do anything right here in the shadow of the tabernacle. Uh, I'm going to do that which is holy because right, God is right there. It, so maybe you're considering, some. It, it, would, this, would God be okay with this or that? Now you could ask yourself, would you feel comfortable in, in doing that very thing uh, right there in the shadow of the tabernacle? Or would you feel like, ooh, maybe not? Um, well, the New Testament application is the tabernacle, the presence of holy presence of God is even closer than the tent next door. It's actually within. Uh, now, this passionate calling to holiness, of course we're, we're going to guard against legalism. Right? We, we pursue holiness not to become right with God, but because we already are right with God. Right? We're, we're to live out this calling as, as Levites because he's already purchased us. We're his. We're already safe and saved. So it's not we're trying to impress God. We do it also guarded, uh, guided by his word. We don't make up our own rules about what's holy and what's not. We were guarded like the Levites were to be, by God's word. Uh, but yet still there's, there's this, this calling upon God's people. You are not your own. You bought with a price. And so a calling in the strength of the Lord, right? You don't do this by yourself. You have his strength within. You also don't do it by yourself. We're doing this together as God's people, spurring one another on. Uh, we don't do it downcast or overwhelmed. Here's you know, We're beloved children who are strengthened by the Lord. We see that God is going to finish this work in us, right? We know where we're headed, but yet, still, there's this, there's this holy calling, this Levite-like calling. You are not your own. Uh, you're bought with a price. Uh, right? it's, a, it's, it's a Levite-like calling. It's a glorious one. Uh, it, it fits in with the rest of, of who we are. Flowing out of who Christ is and what Christ has done. Uh, he's been our substitute. He's, he's made us holy. He's made the way into the holiness of God, uh, even dwelling within us. And that's a glorious identity, as one loved and rescued and made holy. And now, as those who have been purchased, we seek to live it out by his strength and his grace. Let's pray again. Father, we do pray that you would strengthen and equip your people uh, to to delight in your ways, uh, Lord, and rejoice in what you've done. Lord, that we would see afresh the greatness of our Savior and his work uh, that it would be the foundation of our, of our identity and our joy. And also, Lord, it would encourage us in our calling. Do help us each to keep that, uh, that work of Christ in our hearts and to pursue holiness in our lives. Lord, you know the specific areas where each of us struggle and might be tempted. Uh, Lord, use that Holy Spirit to equip. You promise that He is that helper. Uh, who goes alongside str- us in our weakness. And so we pray for that help, uh, Lord, that we would help one another as well, not tearing one another down, but cheering one another on uh, as we seek to, uh, to live as your people in the world. We thank you for it. May you receive all the praise and the glory. In Jesus' name we pray.